If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and then if you want to go ahead and, and get ahead of the curve, mark your place back in Proverbs chapter 11 as well. We'll get back over there in a few moments. And go ahead and, and limber your fingers up. We're going to flip and see several verses this morning, so we'll be turning quite a bit. Last week, I introduced the best question ever, a sermon series I'm going to do through the month of May. Uh, you may remember, if you were here last week, that that question is, what's the wise thing to do, taking from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16? Well, we're going to spend the rest of this month applying this question uh, and this biblical principle to several areas of our lives. And each week, I'll add some different thoughts and some different things to help us better understand and apply this question. And the first thing I need to clarify is to help us understand that the application of wisdom will look different for every person. What is wise for one person may not consistently be wise for another person unless obviously it's related to a very clear issue of, of morality, so to speak. If scripture speaks on it, then yes, it's universal for all of us, but there are other things which may or may not be wise based on who we are, how God's created us, uh, and how God calls us to live out our lives. But our church mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's the case, the goal is that we would each have a personal relationship with Christ, just as every relationship that we're in is with our spouses, with our children, with our coworkers, our family, every relationship is different. It's unique because of the people who are in it. Therefore, your relationship with Christ will also be unique and different based upon uh, your life and the special, unique call that Jesus has placed upon your life as you walk with him. So the thing is to not ask, well, what would Curtis think is the wise thing to do? It doesn't matter what Curtis thinks is the wise thing to do. You need to be asking, Jesus, what's the wise thing that you want me to do? It's about what Jesus wants us to do, not about what Curtis would have us do, because God may lead you to do something different than what he would lead me. So the issue really boils down to our obedience or disobedience in our relationship and our walk with Jesus Christ as we regularly ask ourselves, what's the wise thing to do? Now, Andy Stanley, uh, who, who wrote the book and introduced me to this question, says there are three things that will maybe help clarify this a little bit and give us a better understanding in applying it to their lives. And so the first thing we need to do is ask, what's the wise thing to do based on my past experience or my past experiences, either one? Uh, what's the wise thing for me to do based on my past experience? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, that's not in Scripture, but it is a helpful principle as we think about trying to make wise choices today. If you look back over your life and you see patterns, you see habits or cycles, seasons in your life where you were involved or you know that you've got a tendency toward negative, destructive things, ungodly or immoral behaviors in your life, in your past history, then a very wise thing for you to do in making choices today is to set up guardrails, fences safeguards in your life to keep you from getting back into those habits, those patterns, those places, or maybe being around those people who help lead you into those ungodly things. So think about your own life and, and say, God, show me, speak to me clearly, help me understand what's the wise thing to do 
based upon my past experience in the area of finances, so to speak, in the area of parenting as we think about Mother's Day today, uh, in the area of relationships, whether they be family relationships or, or associates, friendships, or, or business relationships, uh, thinking about our media and our media consumption, what we watch on television, what we listen to, those type things. God, what's the wise thing for me to do based on my past experience in these areas? And ask God to show you if there are areas that you need to have extra safeguards, uh, extra, you need to go the extra mile in guarding yourself from areas where you may be vulnerable in ungodly behaviors in your life. Well, the second thing to ask is what's the wise thing to do in my current situation? What's the wise thing to do in my current situation? You see, we go through seasons and periods in our lives, and things change for us in those seasons and in those periods. And and what we've done in the past, what we thought was wise in the past or unwise in the past, may not be the same for today. So there's a constant sense of, of walking with Christ in a relationship and asking, what's the wise thing to do in my current situation? When I was in college, uh, I played a lot of volleyball. I love the game of volleyball. Again, getting out and playing uh, with, with, uh, with friends and competitively, whatever the case may be. I once did a mission trip to the other side of the world, 10 days, playing volleyball as a sports ministry over there. Loved the game and spent, I was out to 11 o'clock or midnight uh, nearly every week when I was in college. I was a dorm director and they were building a brand new dormitory and there was going to be just a perfect size courtyard in these new buildings they were putting up. And so I lobbied for our school to go ahead and shell out the money to get this construction company to put in a deluxe model sand volleyball court. And they did. And I want to tell you, this thing was awesome. I mean, it was top of the line in every way. And it was just outside our bedroom window. They had lights installed on this thing, and finally they had to put a timer on it because people were out there playing all, and so it went off at a certain point, and it was dark, and you couldn't play any longer. But Shelly was still in school, and she'd be up studying late a lot of nights, and I would hear that thump, thump of that ball being served or people hitting it, or I'd hear somebody go, yeah, when there was a big play or something out there. And, and I mean, it, it was like a cartoon movie. I would just find myself floating and drawn out there. Honey, I know you're studying literature, so I'm going to get out of your hair and go see what's going on. And I had so many stand, sand-stained clothes, it's not even funny from being out there and, and playing volleyball all the time. Any chance I had, I was playing volleyball. But that is not a wise thing for me to do in my current situation. Understanding what it means to be a godly husband and godly father. I I don't give up. I don't allow myself to give up that amount of time for a pursuit such as volleyball. It's not that I don't love the game still. I still enjoy playing. I still enjoy uh, watching it some. My skills are a little rusty, you know, from not playing for almost 20 years. And my 40-inch vertical is only 38 inches now, 20 years later. But, you know, I, I still enjoy the game. But it's just not a wise thing for me to do to invest that amount of time. And so we need to all be thinking, Lord, what's the wise thing to do in my current situation? And finally, we need to ask, what's the wise thing to do for my future? What's the wise thing to do for my future? What do I hope to experience? What do I hope to see in my life or the life of our family members or, or at work in my business or, or just whatever, you know, what do I hope to see five years from now? What do I feel like God's calling me to do? And what does God want in my life 10 years from now, 15 years down the road? And to think through those things and really prayerfully evaluate what things God may be calling you to, what things need to be a part of your life. And then let me ask, do you think that preferred future that you envision, that you see in your mind, do you think that's going to just happen or or, or just, you know, randomly fall into place? 
I mean, a lot of people, I think, do believe that. Well, if I have a dream, if I have a vision or an idea of what I want to see happen, then it'll just, you know, come to pass. Because the Bible says that God will give me the desires of my heart. Well, God's not going to give you that desire of your heart apart from you making choices and decisions today to honor him and live your life in submission and surrender to the authority and the principles and the teachings of his word. And those decisions that you make today, even those seemingly insignificant, smaller decisions, have a tremendous impact on your future and the future that God calls you to. I mean, just thinking about things that we might do to, uh, to invest our time each week. And just to give up 30 minutes, say, on a weekly basis, 30 minutes to watch television, 30 minutes to stay at the office because you want to get ahead and you need to you know, make some more money to provide for your family or whatever, 30 minutes or an hour each day. Just, that's, that's not a big deal. 30 minutes to an hour, we, we can handle that. You know, so we did that five days a week at the office or, or watching television. We'll realize at the end of a week, that's two and a half to five hours. Say, so, well, okay, that adds up a little more than, than what I would have thought, but that's 10 to 20 hours a month. That's 120 to 240 hours a year. You say, wow, 120 to 240 hours. Do you realize that as far as a work week goes, that's three to six work weeks accumulated in increments of 30 to 60 minutes a day, five days a week. You go, oh, that kind of adds up over time. Yes, it adds up over time. So the question is, what are we doing with those smaller chunks of time, those small, seemingly insignificant decisions we make because they have a tremendous impact upon the future that we desire and that God desires for us. So with these additional questions in mind, let's look at this morning. What's the wise thing to do financially? In the book, Money Matters, Ron Blue says there are, there are basically five things you can do with money. He says that we can spend it, we can repay debt, we can pay taxes, we can save it, or we can give it. Now, you may argue for, you know, another one or two things on there that that's a possibility that you'd be able to, uh, to argue and say that those things are possible, and that's fine to do. But I think those five are, are pretty much spot on, and I also think they fall in the, the order that the average American prioritizes his or her resources. I mean, do, do you not agree? Do you know somebody who lives under the category of the average American there? What, we, we spend our money, or actually maybe the term is better, we what? We overspend our money, which leads us to number two. Now we're repaying debt because we overspent what we you know, didn't have, and number one, then we begrudgingly pay taxes. We might save a little bit, and then we give our leftovers. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, lays out a radically different approach to our finances. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This whole passage that we'll look at, I'm not going to read all of it, but deals with, with, uh, with our treasures and managing of our finances and our possessions. He says in verse 19, to kick this off, do not... So, so here's a, a warning against doing something. Do not, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? What does Jesus say happens to our treasures on earth? He says in the next sentence, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
So he's basically saying what you acquire and gain on earth is going to deteriorate, waste away, or other people can take it, snatch it from you, or when you die, what happens to it? They get it anyway. Okay, so Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, which are at some point in some way going to go away. But look down in verse 25, still same teaching on this topic. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food. And there's a word for, for us in America today. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he gives this illustration to show how God provides. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And he adds this question. Are you not of more value than they? With the obvious rhetorical uh, answer to this, or the obvious answer to this rhetorical question being yes, that, that people are more valuable than birds. We're the pinnacle of God's creation, the most unique creation on the planet of God's people. And Jesus is saying, if God will take care of the birds, God will take care of you, his children. So don't worry about all these things and go chasing after that, these things that you gain and acquire and are gone at the end of your life. God will take care of you. And then he gives us his teaching, which flip-flops. It turns on its head what we're able to do and the priorities that Jesus gives us in our life. In verse 33, he says, but seek first. But seek first. If this verse isn't highlighted in your Bible, you need to underline, you need to circle that word first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things is he talking about? These things that he's just been mentioning, food and shelter and clothing, all these needs that we have and their basic human needs there. All these things, he says, will be added to you. God will take care. He will provide. So it's a complete reversal. According to Jesus, our priority should be giving, saving, paying taxes, which parenthetically may be lower if we're giving as we should, you know, in the line before, uh, repaying debt. And again, if we follow a biblical principle of not having, uh, you know, personal consumer debt, then that line is totally taken out. So really we only have four priorities and we're able to spend what's remaining after we've done the other three. So here's the wisest man to ever live, God himself in the flesh, giving us clear financial priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then let God take care of everything else. Well, I want you to see that it wasn't just Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, who gave us this financial priority. Although if it had been, that would be sufficient. But the second wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, also uh, dealt with this topic extensively. So if you want to flip back to Proverbs chapter 11. As you go through the book of Proverbs, my study as I read through and looked for this theme and, and teachings and principles on this, I discovered over 90 verses, over 90 verses in the book of Proverbs that give some kind of teaching uh, or principle about uh, money uh, and our financial material possessions. And so as I read this, I thought either Christians don't know what Solomon had to say about managing our finances and our material possessions, or, or they know and they just don't care. 
because it's not being evidenced and fleshed out in their lives. Because there are so many things that we see in the book of Proverbs. But the first thing that we see is this, that we monitor our attitude, that we monitor our attitude. I think this is the number one issue we face in the area of our finances because our attitude about the finances, how we got them, how we prioritize and use and spend and allow those to be used, I think it impacts our approach and our behaviors when it comes to this area. So look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Meaning that when we stand before God in judgment one day, our wealth will not gain us a better standing before God. We can't get entrance into heaven based upon what we're able to give God uh, for, for wealth or monetarily. It says, but righteousness. Here's this word that Jesus spoke of. But righteousness delivers from death. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that we receive through faith. He goes on. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 15. And look with me at verse 16, Proverbs 15, verse 16. Solomon says, better is a little, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And that's a great nugget, church. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and the trouble with it. With it. I'll talk a little bit about this later, but, but wealth seems to draw flies, does it not? And, and all kinds of troubles and headaches and heartache come with great wealth. And we see this being fleshed out all around the world uh, we live in. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? Now, how many of us would think about, well, if I got a chance to get some gold or some wisdom, I'm going to take the gold, all right? Uh, no. Reverse thinking here, how much better to get wisdom than gold to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The principles we see here are that the spiritual is more important than the material. The spiritual is more important than the material and character, your character, your integrity matter more than profits and portfolios. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have a lot of money or a little money. The important thing is what's your attitude? What's our attitude toward that money, those possessions that God has given us in the first place? It's his. He's the one who's given us everything that we have. So what is our attitude toward those things? And I put some questions for you to look through, and I'm not going to go through all those. I just kind of leave that to you and, and the Holy Spirit to work through in your life. But realize that if we are, are managing and we approach uh, I, all that God has blessed us with, with the right heart and with the right attitude, uh, we are converting our earthly riches into heavenly, eternal rewards. In Matthew 6, I read this part earlier, but I stopped a little bit short. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Those things that we, we get on earth and we hold, that they can, they can be gone, that they can be taken from us. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves, he says, treasures in heaven. And he says, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
You see, as we approach this area of our life with the right attitude and we honor God with our, with our attitude and our behaviors toward these things, the Bible says that, that God gives us rewards and we earn rewards and blessings that are sent ahead of us to receive and, and to have in heaven for eternity. It's an eternal reward or blessing for honoring God with what we have for our, during our lifetime here on earth. Now think about that investment. Which would we rather have? That which we keep for 80, 90, 100 years on earth and then is gone or that which we can have and be ours to give back and to honor God with for all of eternity? Well, that's a pretty easy decision, you know, is it not? That we would want to send these things ahead by our attitude and our approach to honor God with what he's blessed us with during our lifetime. Second principle we see all throughout the book of Proverbs Give. Very simple principle. Give. We see all throughout this book. And thinking, oh boy, here it comes. I knew, I knew he was going to bring it up. I knew he was going to say it when I saw the title this morning when I walked in. I, I knew this was it. Look, don't take it up with me. It's God's word, okay? These are his instructions, his principles. I didn't put it in here. I didn't come and edit your Bible this week and add all the verses in. God gave these to us a long, long time ago. The, the principles of what we're to do, but also the promises of his blessings and what he will do if we're faithful in these areas. So look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses, I want you to start with verse 5 and 6. I want you to see kind of the flow of what's taking place in this chapter. You're probably familiar with Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know, our mind will play tricks on us. We can rationalize. We can justify doing things that we want to do or not doing things we don't want to do. So he says, lean not on your own understanding. Don't overthink this. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Okay, so God's promised to, to make, make our paths straight if we acknowledge him. Now, look down in verse 9. A part of this honoring him and him making straight our paths. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Well, what are first fruits? This is a word we see all throughout the Bible. It means the very first of what you earn or what you receive. Obviously, in an agricultural society, it was the first fruits that you grow. Corn, peas, beans, potatoes, you know, whatever it is, give God the first of that back as a way of thanking God that he's provided this, this, uh, this food that you're about to receive, but also as a way of saying, God, and we trust you because we're going to give you the first part. We trust you to give us enough food to eat for the next few weeks, months, and into this next year. Year. And so it, it's an act of trust uh, and stepping out in faith to give back these first fruits to God. And it applies to our finances. When we work and, and we receive a wage for that, we should honor God with the first fruits. Why do you think that's the case? Because did you see that list of five spending priorities? And if we put giving at the bottom, guess what's going to happen? There's not going to be a whole lot left. You know, we don't have tons of leftovers. Most people in America, we understand the phrase that there's more month left at the end of the money. You ever heard that? Yeah, well, we're not worrying about surplus. We're dealing with shortages, all right? And so if we don't make giving a priority at the top from the beginning, there won't be anything left. But Solomon says, do this, give uh, your wealth, your first fruits back to the Lord. And then here's the promise in verse 10, then... So do this first, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
wow, that's a pretty big promise. You say, well, if I give, then I'm going to have these, these overflowing barns and these bursting vats. Yes, God will bless your giving. Because of your step of faith, God supernaturally blesses that. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Another thought in this way. He says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And that doesn't make sense. Gives freely, yet grows all the richer. That's God's supernatural provision and blessing in your life for being faithful to him. Look at the contrast, verse 24. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And then flip over uh, to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, verse 22. Proverbs 28, 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. So we see this teaching outlined in the book of Proverbs about giving and being faithful in that and God blessing as a result of that. And so the assessment here is, how is my giving? Are we being faithful? Do we have a biblical attitude and are we honoring God in this area of our lives? It's very easy for you to be able to assess that. Look at your giving, go to your checkbook register, get your bank statements. There's the indication. It's in black and white. This isn't rocket science to figure this out. This is one of the most tangible, practical areas of your life you can assess an area and measure an area of spiritual growth in your life. It is really that simple for you to be able to see. It's not an issue of understanding it. It's an issue of doing it as with all spiritual areas, but we can see God's principles and God's truths fleshed out so clearly in this area of our lives. So how are we giving to our, to our church and tithing in that way? Are we growing uh, in our tithing and our giving? Are we supporting mission efforts? Uh, things like the Living Water Project, above and beyond a tithe. We've raised over $2,700 thus far this year to provide clean drinking water to people around the world. We've sent a check so they can get filtering pots and we can dig wells to help them have clean water to help sustain their life as the missionaries come in uh, to share that there are people who have given of their financial resources so they can have clean water, but most importantly, so they can know about Jesus who gives living water to them. And so it's furthering the gospel by meeting a physical need. And are we doing this with a right attitude? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver, but a cheerful giver. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like as I, I speak and teach on these things, people go, okay, you know, he's paid to do that. And yeah, yeah, of course, that's what he's going to say. He's a preacher and all this kind of stuff. But listen, I want you to hear from someone from, you know, just a, a normal everyday uh, person that, that you, you know, may, may know. I want you to hear their story. They came and I heard share this story and I was like, that is another incredible picture of God's uh, faithfulness in providing for his people when we're faithful in giving in spite of, and, and you'll hear in spite of difficult circumstances. So in their own words, I want to share this video with you of Kevin and Miranda McLaughlin who sought to be faithful in their giving to God in a very difficult time and how God blessed their faithfulness and their obedience to him in that way. Uh, Kevin, Miranda McLaughlin, uh, we have a little girl, uh, three and a half years old. She's Adelaide. 
Adelaide Joe McLaughlin. And then we have a, a new one arriving in July, Finley Elliott McLaughlin. 2010 was, was really, really rough. It was rough. Uh, lost uh, two jobs in one year. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It was a wake-up call for life and what happens. What do we do now? I kind of handle most of the finances or had been handling most of the finances. And so the fact that there was not a regular salary coming in, um, and I knew that and didn't know for how long we would be in that situation, um, it was very stressful. Um, it's easy to kind of play the blame game and, um, you know, well, what could you be doing? What could he be doing? Why did he do this? You know, and um, so it was a very, um, it was a challenging emotional journey for me as well um, because on the flip side, you really want to support your spouse and you want to encourage them, but at the same time, you're frustrated. That was, that was rough. It was rough. Um... As, as, a, as a provider, a yearning to be a provider, as a father and as a husband, uh, I, was, I was devastated. I, didn't, I thought there was something drastically wrong with me. Some people still say that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I thought, well, what did I do wrong? What do I do now? Who, who am I supposed to be now? Uh, it was almost like I was stripped of what I, what I thought, who I thought I was. My prayer all year long was that we would learn to trust, um, trust the Lord, that um, because it's very easy for me to try to take things into my own control um, instead of fully relying on the Lord to take care of everything. When I let go of control um, and relinquish control, of everything um, that God is more than able <laughs> you know like you say that in your mind all the time or you even verbalize it but when you're forcing yourself to or you are forced to live through it um, that it really does ring true that God is more than able to do anything that we could possibly imagine you know we had kind of gotten in this um, I would say kind of sort of keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality, like you want to maintain the lifestyle that you had coming out of your parents' house and that kind of thing. And I think we, you know, just realized that God is in control of everything. Mm -hmm. And that when, even when I questioned why two job losses in such a short period of time and why this and why that, that um, every little step of the way was an answer from him. Um, as to his plan for us. We were probably about to say, uh, call our realty agent and say, it's time to put the house up for sale. Because uh, it was at that point where I, I couldn't look at my in-laws anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. Not that I was trying to handle it or taking it on, on my shoulders, but we just were not getting enough money coming in for what was going out. And I think it was a Thursday. It was a late, late email. And I said, and I saw who, who it was from. I said, well, I said it was, it was a denial letter. But lo and behold, I read through it. And well, the first word was congratulations. And congratulations, you have, this was after an interview that I received from this corporation. And they accepted me. 
and they wanted to invite me to six weeks of training in Atlanta. It was what exactly what God was waiting for. He was, he was waiting for me to say, I'm done. I can't handle it anymore. And he said, I got you, man. I got you. I was dreading preparing our taxes this year because of the two job losses and um, various other things that came in that I was afraid that we were going to owe quite a bit of money. And even though he had secured the job um, when I went to prepare the taxes, um, he had not started yet. My prayer had been trust and I was still praying, Lord, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to trust you. And all throughout last year, um, we continued to, to tithe regularly, and um, even though there were many months where I was like, okay, I'm writing this check, and I know that there's not money coming in. So anyway, I went to prepare the, the taxes and was putting all of the, you know, stuff in, and the money we owed was rising on the little TurboTax thing, and I was, you know, starting to sweat bullets, and it came time for you to put in your deductions and things and so I went through all that and the very final statement that I went to put in was our contribution statement from the church and I was just and I think he was too just amazed at although we had less income this last year than we had ever had before we gave more um, in our ties um, than we had ever given before and so I put in that amount to the tax software and um, it took us, once I hit the button, the enter button, it took us from owing money to getting a refund. It was just, it was just awesome because I saw, the type A personality saw on paper, the answer to my prayer of trusting him. And that was, um, that was incredible. To trust, I mean, to pray um, and to rely on the Lord um, and to realize that you can't do it um, and there is no way that you could possibly do it on your own and to trust that he has your best interest in mind at the end. I would say as, as well that God is hearing. He's hearing. He's feeling. He knows. He will cry with you. He will laugh with you. He will hurt with you and and then when you just can't take it anymore you'll be like well I got you the whole way I don't know why you think you need to take it any farther he wants you to uh, to feel like you just can't do it anymore and, I, and God's like yeah well that's that's where I come in I've always been here I always will be That's a powerful testimony, a powerful story of God's faithfulness to provide when we trust him. We just seek to be faithful in giving as he instructs us to do. Quickly, these last couple of points. Number three, manage your money. Manage your money. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Meet one of my favorite characters in the whole book. If you read through Proverbs, you'll see this guy referenced a couple of different times. Proverbs 6, 6 says, go to the ant... O sluggard, 
Love that. Isn't that a gross word? Sluggard. You know, be called, you know, that's not a good thing for somebody to call you. It's somebody that's lazy, basically. Just lazy, you know, no motivation, no desire. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. We're talking about wisdom. Be wise. And what does the ant do without having any chief officer or ruler? She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so she prepares this preparation, that saving, having a rainy day fund, emergency fund. Uh, the ant prepares. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21 verse 20. Another principle in managing your money on these same lines. Verse 20 says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So there's this saving, there's this thinking ahead, being prepared. And so you find these things, but a foolish person devours all that he has. In Proverbs 22, 7, you're probably familiar with this. I hope you're familiar with this. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. To borrow from Dave Ramsey, he says, money is a great servant, but a terrible boss. And he says, God doesn't care if his children have money, but he hates it when money has his children. So the advice is to know how and when and where your money is being spent and manage your money. Do you realize your money will do nothing for you left to itself? You take and put a $100 bill on your counter or, or hide away a sock in your drawer for 10 years, that money will do nothing for you except lose value. Inflation going up, it's not going to be worth the same 100 then that it is now. So manage your money. Put it to work for you instead of having it work against you. Principle number four, work. Work. You can see a number of principles listed there. Go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. I want you to see uh, the next part of this verse. We just talked about the sluggard considering the ways of the ant. Uh, verse 9, speaking to this same guy, says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And this is the guy saying to himself, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And what will happen with this little sleep, little slumber, resting uh, too much and not working? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Found that, that poverty, that, that not working that's there. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, uh, verses 19 and 20. Proverbs 28, verse 19. It says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So as long as we're able, we should work hard. We should work morally and ethically and trust God to provide and to give us the wage that he will bless us with uh, as we are being faithful. Number five, learn contentment. Learn contentment. Flip over Proverbs chapter 30, our last passage here, Proverbs chapter 30. Looking at verse 7, this is kind of a prayer uh, from, from the, the pen and, and the heart of, of King Solomon. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So, Lord, don't let me be hungry. Don't let me have an abundance. Just help provide and give me what I need. You see, if you acquired every bit of money in the world, you couldn't take one penny of it with you when you die. 
you're going to leave it behind to someone or, or something. The question then is, what will they do with it? And if we're leaving anything to our family, the best thing we can give them is not that, that money or, or those resources. It's the skills and the knowledge of how to handle those things in a way that honors God, as we've seen this morning. I mean, we've seen how wealth uh, just seems to, to erode and destroy so many families. We see the lives of people and their siblings and their children uh, just devastated with great wealth and prosperity. I don't know if you've seen the reality show where they have uh, celebrity family members who are going through detox from alcohol and drugs and all these addictions that they're in. I mean, it's just like wealth erodes and destroys people's lives, Charlie Sheen. Oops, did, subcon- sorry, sorry, subconscious thoughts slipping out there. But I mean, we, we just see that flesh itself out in so many people's lives. And my hope and my prayer is that I will teach and model and instill the principles that we've seen today in my children so that should I be able to leave them anything that it won't be a, a blessing or it won't be a curse to them, but it would be a blessing to them and to others as they use that in a way uh, to invest in God's kingdom and in the gospel. So what's the wise thing to do financially? It's to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that all these things will be added to us under God's power and through God's provision. You see, a right relationship with God is of greater value than all the wealth in the world. And so I invite you today, if you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, to come and do that. Our pastors would love to lead you to place your faith in Christ so that your greatest inheritance will be your salvation in Jesus Christ. And others of you may need to follow in believer's baptism and take that step of obedience. And others may want to come to the altar or just pray right where you are that God would help you be faithful in this area of of your life, to grow in your giving or or to be faithful in giving of the tithe and being able to trust God, even though it is a step of faith. And it's a tremendous step of faith, but I encourage you and challenge you to surrender and commit yourself to the Lord in this and just to trust him. The Bible says that this is the only area of our lives, only one time in scripture are we told to put the Lord to the test and it's in our giving. The Lord says, test me in this. You give and see if I am not faithful to provide for you. So maybe it's for you taking that step of faith, but I'll tell you, nothing indicates a, 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 a fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ more than a fully surrendered wallet or pocketbook. Finances are often the last area of our Christian maturity that we withhold from Jesus and the first things that we take back. So today I challenge you, would you surrender and make a full commitment to surrender this area of your life wholly and completely to him?